This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. They have close to 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from, with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com, and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets. We are Star Trek. Hi, this is Michelle Specht. I play Dr. Elise McKenna on Star Trek Continues. Oh my god, I'm totally fangirling right now because I just met Dan Davidson and Bill Smith of the Trek Geeks podcast. Oh my gosh, they are amazing. From Shuttle Bay 47 at Podfleet Command, awaiting our departure to fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada, it's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings one and all. Welcome to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. So glad to have you here for our pre-Star Trek Las Vegas episode. This has become an episode that we just love to do because it means we're getting ready to head out to the biggest gathering of Star Trek fans in North America. It's always very exciting, and we just can't wait to, to get going and see everybody. Of course, by we, I do mean my co-host and I. If he were a thrall, I would not bet any quat lose on him. In fact, nobody would bet any quat lose on him. He's the last kid picked in everything, including space. He's the, <laughs> he's the largely underachieving and, uh, <laughs> and cannon fodder like Dan Davidson. Dan... Buddy, we're almost to Vegas. Oh, so you're changing the subject from what you just said to now we're going to Vegas. Okay, great. Yeah, I can't wait to get there with you. It's, it just means <laughs> you're a lover and not a fighter. Oh, well, that is true. And and you would, I think you would pick me before somebody else, wouldn't you? Eh, who's available? Uh, I don't know. Captain Pike? No, I pick Captain Pike. <laughs> in, in the wheelchair. <laughs> That's what I was talking about. So, yeah, okay, great. Yeah. Wow, that was harsh. That was very harsh. But it's great to be here as always. Yeah, in less than 48 hours as we record right now, we're going to be on a plane heading out to the desert. Cannot wait. It's the it's the trip that we look forward to every single year to reunite with all our Trek family and have a great time uh, out at STLV. And, and you know, Vegas is a, is a place for gambling if you're into that kind of thing. And so... Every year now, we for the past few years, we've decided to do a Vegas-ish, Vegas-e, Vegas-like type of uh, episode uh, before we head out to STLV. So what better than Gamesters of Triskelion to deep dive into? Because there's gambling, there's quatloos, there's, you know, possible death, and you know, it probably happens in Vegas too. So here we are. <laughs> as long as we don't become a CSI experiment, I think we're doing pretty well. Um, interesting factoid. So last year at this time, what episode did we do? 
Uh, we did a piece of the action last year. That's didn't we? correct, and yes. that is season two, episode seventeen. You know which episode came before it directly in Star Trek schedule? I'm gonna say Gamesters of Triskelion. Yes, it did. <laughs> I think that's pretty funny that the episode that we've chosen uh, each year, the last two years to go to, go to Vegas, uh, actually were back-to-back on the schedule. We just did them in reverse order. That is kind of funny. I like it. And I also like the fact that we did a piece of the action last year for this Vegas one. And this year, as we'll talk about later during the fan set spot, the poker chip is from a piece of the action. That's we really awesome. messed that up. God. We did. Yeah. Well, you know, that's what happens when you miss staff meetings, doctor. <laughs> Very nicely done. Well, for once, you're actually knocking it out of the park. It's because you know you're going to be on a plane soon. Yes. Um, I, although in close quarters with me, so be careful. Um, Dan, how might people give us their well wishes, their uh, their questions about Vegas, and other musings as we prepare to head to the airport? Well, as always, it is so easy to get in touch with us, Bill. Just head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and there you'll find a variety of ways to get in touch with either Bill or myself. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out that contact form and type us out a personalized message, or you can even click on that big, giant blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a message with your very own mellifluous tones using SpeakPipe. And hey, don't forget, the place to be on Facebook these days is the official Trek Geeks Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Bring your Trek talk, your Trek picks, and your Trek love over to the site and join over 1,400 other friends talking all things Trek. And this week, all things STLV. It is the place on social media where the Trek talk is positive with no bashing or gatekeeping allowed. Plus, if there are new announcements about the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, you're going to hear about it first in Camp Kittimer before anyone else in the quadrant. To join the group, head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins Haley, Jackie, and Dan for the amazing job they do running the camp. But... Please remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode, or there may be punishment. Whoa. I, mm. Since when is that on the table? It's the, well, callers of obedience. That's, you know, that's the way it is. The providers want to have a conversation with you. The providers told me to say that. I find that hard I to would believe. turn your collar of obedience on and just walk away. <laughs> I am not surprised by this revelation. <laughs> Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. <laughs> Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. <laughs> For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. Bill, 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 Bill. It's TrekNews.net. Bill, 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 Bill. What did you say just then? Okay. At first it sounded like 9-11. I'm like, where did that come from? Wow. Online at treknews.net. Don't mind us. We're both stone cold sober. Um, Dan, up first. Unfortunately, we have some sad news to report regarding a very special guest star in Star Trek The Next Generation several years ago. Yes, absolutely sad. And, you know, I got to say, Bill, we seem to be doing this a lot lately, and it really is just not easy to do. Um, Actor Jeremy Kemp 
who played Jean-Luc's brother Robert in the TNG Season 4 episode Family, passed away last week at the age of 84. Uh, Mr. Kemp's career spanned over three decades in film and television, but Trek fans will always remember him for that very special role of that cantankerous older brother who helped Jean-Luc finally deal with the trauma of being assimilated by the Borg. It's a great episode. I really thought it was too bad that they killed him off in in generations. Uh, We here at Trek Geeks offer our condolences, of course, to his family, his friends, and his fans. Uh, without a doubt, family is one of my all-time favorite episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and yeah. that that dynamic between Patrick Stewart and Jeremy Kemp is just tremendous. You get the sense that they truly were brothers uh, from the get-go. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just seem like some guy they hired to be Picard's brother. He literally seems like Robert Picard, and it just it was delightful all around. It was um, it, it's a it's a timeless story, and uh, certainly he will be missed for sure. One of the things I liked best about that episode is you can tell that they're brothers. And like you said, it was like they're brothers for real. At the end, when they hug, and then he just kind of like pushes away with that face <laughs> as he's saying goodbye. It's kind of like, yeah, we're done hugging. Go away now, brother. But it, <laughs> it really is a great episode. It it, it, it was good to see that uh, side of Jean-Luc because we never saw the family. He's a very private guy. And uh, Jeremy did just a fantastic job with that role. Going to be missed. Absolutely. Also, Dan, on a happier note, um, it appears that questions regarding the future of Star Trek Las Vegas have been answered, at least for next year. Yeah, this is some great news here, man. Uh, We don't like to report on rumor and speculation here on the network, but it was no secret that there had been some concern lately on the future of STLV. Uh, For one thing, there had been talk for a long time about how the Rio was not going to be available any longer and possibly being torn down and rumors about a a MLB stadium were were out there and so forth. Um, And especially with the parent company Caesars uh, having been sold, We weren't really sure what was going on. And also up in the air was the contract with Creation over the convention itself. Uh, But earlier this week, it was reported that STLV 2020 will, in fact, be held at the Rio and will be held from August 5th through August 9th of 2020. So it looks like for at least one more year, buddy, the family reunion in the desert will continue. I am ecstatic. I am excited. I will be going. And so will you. Uh, well, absolutely be going. Um, <laughs> I, I can't wait. Although I'm going to hope we stay somewhere else other than the Rio. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could. I, I think that you could talk me into that. <laughs> okay, I think that'll be good. Um, no, you know, uh, I appreciate that the Rio has has really done a great job with the convention space. I will say, for all the faults the Rio has as a hotel, their convention space really is laid out fantastically for Star Trek Las Vegas, and the main theater is uh, gargantuan. It Huge. was not. Yeah, it was not that big at the Hilton. Yeah, I never saw it at the Hilton, so I. But it's. I mean, I'm in awe. The first, the first time I walked in there, I was like, "Oh my god, this place is gigantic!" Isn't it overwhelming? Yeah. And then you all of a sudden get happy little goosebumps because you're like, "This room is filled with people who love this same thing that I love," and you've got three, four thousand friends there that you just haven't met yet. That's really the beauty of that room. Yeah, it really is amazing. And even as large as the room is, it doesn't matter if you've got a, I don't know, captain's chair or ambassador, whatever the the top ones are where you're right in front. If you're in the very last row or even further back standing up, you can see everything because they get giant monitors everywhere. And um, you never feel like you're being left out when you're in that room, no matter what the size. You do. It's really conducive to dealing with your bass and college. So uh, I think uh, (laughs) for anyone looking, anyone interested next year is Voyager 25. 
It's going to be a huge anniversary year for Star Trek Voyager. Lots of Voyager in the house. There will be some special uh, products for Voyager 25, we know. But uh, if you've ever been on the fence about going to Star Trek Las Vegas and you're not going this year, next year is going to be fantastic, I have to say. Make it so. Well, Dan, as always, we want to thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's show. And in a couple of days, we're going to get to do that in person when we see them in their giant booth at Star Trek Las Vegas, something we're always happy about. Of course, as Nero would say, the wait is over. And in just hours from now, when this episode is available, we're going to be arriving in Las Vegas to reunite with them and see all the amazing releases they have for STLV 2019. All the amazing releases there oh. are yeah there are so many new pins that we're actually going to list them all here right now so people heading out to stlv uh can head to their local atm uh loan officer or whatever it is they need to do uh because they want to get some cash because they're going to want to have all of these beauties of course the women of trek framed collector set will be uh consisting of uhura captain janeway to paul beverly crusher deanna troy kira norris Michael Burnham, the Borg Queen, and Edith Keeler. And also an STLV exclusive Uhura pin will be available for this collection. And all of these pins in this collection, if you buy them in Vegas, will be glitterized, which I just love. And they look amazing. (laughs) Additionally, two new Trek Tech pins, the TNG Phaser Rifle and the Klingon Batleth will make their debut. Uh, also, the half Locutus, half Jean-Luc pin, which I think is my favorite of all of these, will be available. And also, the first four episodic pins for the second season of Star Trek Discovery uh, will be available to add to your collection. Uh, rumor has it also that the Star Trek Picard logo pin that was seen at San Diego Comic-Con last weekend will be available at the Fansets booth in Vegas. And finally, the now-famous annual STLV poker chip pin will be on site, and this year it features Gangster Kirk from A Piece of the Action. You got all that, uh, Billy? Yeah, don't call me that. I know, I know, you hate Um, that. I can tell you that I'm going to be bringing bankruptcy paperwork with me to start the process early because that's a lot of pins, (laughs) and I'm going to own them all. And they're all worth every single last penny. Uh, In the meantime... EOEO, <laughs> EO11. But as always, as a special bonus to Trek Geeks listeners, if you would like to receive 15% off your entire order at fansets.com this week, that's pins, that's accessories, that's whatever you can put in your cart, not just, not even just Star Trek stuff, anything at fansets.com, you're going to get 15% off your entire order if you use the word GALT, G-A-L-T, at checkout. No cap, I'm sorry, all capital letters, no spaces, G-A-L-T. Now, this bonus code is going to be available for an extended time because Fansets is awesome and it's good up through Thursday, sorry, Tuesday, August 13th, 2019 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. That's a great code word. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i wonder wonder why you picked that one uh, i have really no idea but one no. thing i did want to talk about bill real quick while we're talking about fan sets and how much we love them is um 
this Women of Trek series is going to be an ongoing collection. This first set that's going to be available uh, in Vegas is, like I said, just the first set. Uh, of pins. They're going to be releasing upwards of 50 pins over the next year or so, depicting all of the amazing women in the Star Trek universe. We've seen a lot of discussion about why didn't you pick this person or why didn't you pick that person? Well, contracts and, and, and choices are made and the pins that are coming out in this first set are absolutely gorgeous. Everybody should love them. And there will be a lot more coming out over the course of the next year. Well, and let's be honest, CBS told them that they had to include yeah. X percentage of things. So there had to be so many from each series. There had to be a guest star. Mm-hmm. And there had to be a... a, a, a I don't know if it was a villain specifically, but the, that's part of the reason why the Borg Queen is in there. So that's how Edith Keeler made the set. That's how other characters like Dax are not yet in the set. Mm-hmm. But this set is going to span multiple years. And like you said, over 50 pins. So... At some point, those characters are going to happen. It's just not this summer. Right. So Absolutely. that's really the important thing that we want to drive home. Yeah. And also, additionally, uh, we're going to have something on social media after Vegas where people are going to be able to vote for who they want to see as a pin. So you, these people who go in and vote may actually set the course for the Women of Trek pin collection by having a special one uh, created. So that is very cool. Without a doubt. I mean, I think ultimately all of these pins are going to be pins that people want to see and own. Um, I'm excited for this set. I think this has been a long time coming, and I'm uh, I'm excited that I'm going to start this collection this year. It's going to be pretty exciting. Fansets. We are Star Trek, and we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. So, Dan, as we move into the main body of this week's episode, we're going to talk about the TOS classic episode, The Gamesters of Triskelion. Now, I don't know how long it's been since you've watched this one before reviewing it for this particular recording, but I got to tell you, I hadn't watched it in some time. This is an episode I used to love. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to say right off the bat, we, we like we like this episode you know we're not we don't hate this episode Mm -mm. um but this is a great example of a classic episode which has a lot of problems but yet we still love watching it i watch this episode a lot to be honest with you man um i probably have seen this episode maybe upwards of the same amount of times that i've seen like doomsday machine or corbin might maneuver um, it's not one. It's not my favorite episode, but I just love it. Of course, as everybody knows by now, I love the character of Galt. He's my favorite TOS villain, uh, if you even want to call him a villain. Um, but I just love the episode. It's it's campy. Um, it's got some good stuff in it. It's got some bad stuff in it. But it's one that I just always. It's enjoyable. It's fun to watch, even with all the quirkiness that it can have in it. That's really kind of you to say quirkiness. <laughs> because there are things that, that aren't quirky. They're just, they're, they're not great. <laughs> um, we're going to talk a little bit about plot and, and some of those things. But right off the bat, I want to say that the fight choreography in this episode leaves a oh. lot to be desired. Um, none of it is believable. And I'm going to speak specifically about Shayna. And Kirk in their fight, especially the one at the end. I don't believe that she gets a one-up on the captain at any point. It just seemed at that point where they linger for a little too long and she nails him in the head with the can open the, the yeah. giant can opener. Because uh, that's what it looks like. It looks like yeah. a giant can opener. Yeah. 
Um, none of that is remotely believable. And of course, they're playing the Amok Time fight music behind yes. it. Yes, they are. And I expect there to be like some some real fighting going mm-hmm. on. But uh, it's not fantastic. No, it's not. And and then that same fight. And, and it's funny. It, I think uh, Sue actually said something when we were watching the other night. They're like sta- staring at each other. He's got the knife up to her chin. And they're just staring at each other for like three or four seconds. And she's like... Are they going to do anything? And then, boom, with a can opener. That's funny. I, I really like that. But then right after that, it's the whole twisting of the Kirk's feet and legs to try to get her to fall. And it, it's absolutely barely any contact at all. But yet she fall. Uh, and, and also, I got to ask right off the bat. I know I'm, I'm jumping around. But one of the worst parts of this episode, when he is um, fighting Klug and jumps on his back to choke him. His hands are down like around his chest, <laughs> choking him, and it's like really, but that's okay. It's still fun. Now I gotta say that you know before that really last big fight where you know he's made the wager with the the providers, you know if he wins they get to go free that deal. Mm-hmm. Um, they say, well you know you gotta stay in your own color because if you <laughs> step on any of the other colors you lose you know lose people weapon. lose a weapon and everybody steps all over the colors and nobody loses weapons. Yes. So it's like if they hadn't called it out. I wouldn't have cared. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then that's all I could see. <laughs> uh, and, and it's another thing. It's, it's very observant. She's like, uh, are they going to step on their own colors? Because <laughs> they're in everybody else's colors. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty funny. And I, I I think it's funny. I know we're making jokes about, about stuff right now as we get started. But I love how the Triskelion logo on the ground is greenish and yellow. Hmm. But yet Galt's on his uniform is bright blue and yellow. And though I thought that was kind of interesting that the colors change depending on what room you're in. I wonder if that was some consideration for the way it looked in the shot, um, you know, when they were filming. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, or maybe it was accidentally color corrected like some of the test shots of, oh, it could have of been, Spock yeah. was. Who knows? Mm-hmm. One of the things that interests me most about the, the background information regarding this episode is originally Chekhov wasn't supposed to be in it. Yeah. It was supposed to be Sulu. And when I think about this... Um, honestly, it works for either character, but I think I would have been a little more interested to have Sulu in that spot. Um, and that could have something to do with the fact that I'm just not a Chekhov fan. I don't know. Oh, I think that's exactly the reason. Okay. <laughs> that's fair. No, it's, I got to agree with that. I got to say, in terms of, of watching Sulu and watching Chekhov or, or George and, and um, uh, oh my God, uh, I need another drink. Nichelle? Yeah. <laughs> No, uh, Chekhov. Um, Chekhov. Walter. Uh, Walter, thank you. Jeez. Um, during the entire run of the series, I think I think George is a better actor. So I think it would have been interesting to see how it went because the, the you know this episode is is not one of of, of Walter's shining moments in the acting uh, category, especially when the collar's going off on him. <laughs> well, the, one of my favorite things happens in this episode because Chekhov gets the the paste beaten out of him a couple of times, and I'm all for that. <laughs> but and I texted this to you today, so I'm watching Gamesters of Triskelion. I happen to hit the pause at the right time, and when the collar goes off the first time and Chekhov hits the ground, the camera kind of comes over to him, and you see this blue object in frame. And when you pause it, it looks either like an igloo cooler. Or a toolbox that's, that's not hysterical. supposed to be there. Wow. And it's on Netflix. You can see it there. I'm sure it's in all the DVDs. But I'm watching it going, what the heck is that? That's and funny. I had no idea. But uh, nothing made me happier than seeing Chekhov writhing on the ground. 
<laughs> there are some things that I really love about this episode, but while we're on it, why don't we just talk about all the weird things that happen that it just like make the episode really not as good as it could be. Like the fact that when they first get transported, quote unquote, to the planet, when they get up, Kirk's communicator is open on his back. It is. <laughs> At first I thought it was broken. Yes. Yep. And he throws Okay, Kirk. Fisticuffs, big mean Kirk, who's gonna punch you in the jaw to get you know, to get his message across, throws his phaser at Lars instead of going up and fighting him. <laughs> and that actually comes into play later because he mentions that later in the episode that yeah. they need to find the phaser that he threw at Lars. Well, maybe you shouldn't have thrown it at him, dummy. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's not a lot to this episode, to be honest. Um, story-wise, it's not necessarily one that makes you think of a whole lot of weightiness mm-hmm. other than slavery is bad. Yeah. But yeah, when you back up to the start of this episode, clearly it's an unsettling situation for the landing party because they've been snatched off the transporter pad yep. and nobody knows what's going on, only to find themselves enslaved by this race of people that uh, essentially, I, I, I have to think they're putting together gladiator games of some sort because we never see mm. the games. We just see the training. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got to say that I think the providers and Galt as the master thrall really have a lot of faith in what they think uh, these three crew members are going to do because they have to go through training to become full-fledged thralls, but they were only there for about four hours before they decided to sell them. <laughs> yeah, and that's like what well, makes me wonder how much training the thralls normally go through. They really had to be the best of the bunch because, well, due to their Starfleet training, because like you said, they get sold just a couple hours later. Yeah, and and I don't think I really noticed that until I watched it a couple of times this week, getting ready to record this episode. That's like, wait a minute, the Enterprise is talking about how they've only been missing for a few hours, yet the providers just spent quatloos to make them full fledged thralls, and they only had one training session. And they tried to escape like twice. Bah, they're really good. Let's buy them. Well, honestly, Kirk is the only one who's good because um, Uhura and Chekhov are just outmatched. I'll tell you what, though. Uhura had to fight two thralls she at did. the beginning. That she was, did. And that didn't have to happen with anybody else. And, of course, the big Klug was just holding on to Chekhov around his waist. And Chekhov was just, like, hanging there. it almost struck me as you know the the way the 1966 batman series went Mm -hmm. where they get into a fight and be all the biff bow pam stuff (laughs) or biff bam pow whatever it was and um batman would always be fighting somebody off and robin would be being held captive by somebody Chekhov kind of played the robin role yes he did in this episode yeah absolutely Um, galt strikes me as an interesting character i like i don't believe he's a villain I no, don't believe he's a villain at I, all. I say villain, but he's he is the bad guy in this episode that that is the is the main thing that the crew has to fight in order to 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 not get killed or not be, you know, slaves yeah. for the rest of their lives. But no, I don't think of him as a villain villain, but he's so great. He's he's doling out punishments because mm-hmm. he's the guy that's supposed to train these people. Now, who knows what, you know, uh, directives he's under or whether or not this means his life. I have to assume on some level it does. Mm-hmm. Um, he has to deliver people to the arena or else, you know, he gets, um, you know, dead is what I'm thinking. Well, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Well, you know, it just uh, <laughs> it seemed the simplest way. So uh, I'm not really sure exactly what Galt's motivations are, and I, but I don't think that takes away from the story at all. 
No, I don't think so either. I I love that shroud of mystery that's in regard that that he has. You mm-hmm. don't know what race he is. Um, he obviously has a lot of power over everybody who's there. He is the master thrall of the whole planet, according to his title. Um, and he has no problem just appearing whenever he wants to, to um, uh, get into, into a situation, as we saw when Kirk and Shauna were out in the ruins of where Kirk thought the providers might have once lived when they were on the surface. So I, I find it I find him a very interesting character because of that mysteriousness. And he's just balls to the wall awesome i just think he's great <laughs> well, this is another time in star trek where we have sort of a in a way a godlike set of beings of sorts that yep. have evolved past corporeal form and are essentially just disembodied brains mm-hmm. um it's a trope that star trek comes back to many times throughout the years but i think it's one that's done pretty effectively in this episode even if the brains kind of look like jelly molds yes set that aside for a second when you you think about what's going on and what these people have evolved into out of their own greed essentially mm-hmm. i think it makes an interesting statement at least with, to that regard oh i i definitely agree with that and it's funny that you say the jelly mold and that they kind of like pulse which is also kind of interesting one of the voices of the providers of course being jimmy doing for those mm-hmm. who may not have known. And the other would being Robert Johnson, who was the voice for Mission Impossible for so many years back in the 60s, which yeah. is kind of cool. Robert Johnson, interesting. That's the name of the guy in uh, Deadly Years. Yes, it um, is. Yeah, so that's kind of cool, too. Um, I-, I love how these creatures have evolved to the point where they don't have bodies and they can snatch people from anywhere and they have all this power over the people on this planet. Yet... All they want to do is gamble. Yeah. And that's very interesting. And Kirk actually um, talks about how, uh, you know, they're not as evolved as they think they are because they have to keep people as tech, as basically slaves for their enjoyment. Um, but it is interesting that a, a species that has developed to the point where they have nothing else to do but do what they're doing here on this planet is is an interesting one to think about if you really wanted to spend time really delving into it. No, I agree with you. I think it would be interesting to hear some of the backstories of that and how they evolved and the things that exactly went wrong. It makes you wonder how that sort of, you know, converts to modern day Earth in some mm-hmm. level mm-hmm. and the, the parallels it draws from our society. Um, you have to think that, that given some of their challenges and, and their avarice that it was, you know, in, in some ways we're probably bound to be um, bodiless brains in a, in a, in a serving container, essentially. Um, yeah. And a buffet. Yeah. The brain buffet. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's fantastic. One of the, um, (laughs) one of the interesting scenes to me and one that I am amazed made it on television is when all the thralls are in their cells. And of course by thralls, I mean our intrepid crew. Yes. And Lars goes into Uhura's quarters. Yep. And there is absolutely a struggle. There's some screaming. We're left to presume that he is attempting to force himself upon her. Mm-hmm. And I'm really kind of stunned that that much was allowed to happen without showing anything yeah. as far as the struggle on 60s network television. Right. You did see some shadows. They did some subtle mm-hmm. shadowing of that. The dubbing of a horror screaming was not really well done, I don't think. Every time I listen to that scene, the the, the screams are just 
uh, just odd to me. Um, but yeah, it, it, you're right. How that was uh, able to get through um, back in the 60s, because it's obvious what he was attempting to do. And he says that it is not allowed to refuse selection. And they talk about what's going to happen if people are selected for each other. Chekhov's uh, drill thrall hopes that it'll happen. He, and she obviously has an affection for him. Um, you'd certainly see that with Shauna and Kirk. So, yeah, that was uh, it was it was interesting that that uh, went as far as it did to the point that we saw and heard what we did. Well, and in the next scene, when they come back from commercial after Kirk screams, apparently the wrong name. He calls her Uhira. Uhira, <laughs> Lieutenant Uhira. <laughs> um, you come back. I mean, you know her her uniform isn't you know ripped. She doesn't no. suffer what appear to be any bruises. She's mm-hmm. not doesn't appear to be injured, but clearly something went on. Yeah, you know, she did refuse, and like you said, she wasn't allowed to. But um, uh, that uh, not a great situation, and I can imagine how powerless and helpless Kirk felt. The thing that I found interesting about that when Lars left the cell um, and walked away, the doors closed. She had the water jug in her hand, like she was probably trying to beat him off with it. Um, and she had her green earring that always shows up. The green earring was right there. I saw that more than anything else. I think, um, but. There was nothing ever really said after that. Did she get punished for it? Um, was Lars not going to be um, specifically her trainer anymore? That type of thing. I mean, you could get into all kinds of different storylines with it. But yeah, it was, it was a very interesting uh, part. On the same note, it was interesting how it was handled so differently when the female thrall Tamun was uh, talking to Chekhov. Vastly different vastly different and i also found it interesting that she had not been selected for him yet but apparently lars had or was he just saying that um Mm -hmm. that's a great question i i caught that too and i'm not really sure as to the answer when tamun does come into his quarters it's it's obvious that chekhov looks uncomfortable uh he in no way wants to be that close to her regardless (laughs) and then she opens her mouth and she's got a voice that's deeper than mine (laughs) Um, yes, yes, that's what kind of you miss. <laughs> Chikov. Here's an interesting question. Yeah. I don't think we've ever seen that race in Star Trek before or since. What race was she? No idea. Well, I yeah. asked the same question about Galt because, you know, as a, as a kid yep. on a 1970s television, his makeup looked kind of whitish. Yep. But in high def, it almost looks kind of spackled on. Yes, exactly. Um, which I thought was really interesting. I didn't really have that. That uh, that perspective before, so I'd love to know what race they all are. Yeah, um, I, Lars could be Looks human, he, human of some kind. Yeah. Um, maybe he's not. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I think it would have been neat if they'd made him something other than human. And Klug yeah. is just uh, a caveman, mem- apparently. Uh, it's your family. Um, uh, also, I th- an, we saw an Andorian. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> My family. <laughs> I just, I just. It was interesting that they just kind of threw in the Andorian at the end of the episode. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was really kind of bizarre. Yeah. yeah. Where's he, where's he been? Yeah, I know. Right, right. And if it's their job to train the Thralls, are they the only Thralls there? Yeah, there's only, that's a big planet. There's only six Thralls that we've seen. This was an episode that I get the sense could have been so much bigger. Um, but because budgeting and whatever else, it was so much smaller. It felt big based on the set. Yep. Um, which had obvious, you know, set pieces reused. You know, I get that. That's it's TV. It's going to happen. But I, I felt like that 
it was on the verge of being something truly epic, um, but never quite got there. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's one of the reasons why I enjoy the episode so much, but it's not one of my favorites. If that makes any sense at all, yeah. it's 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 a fun episode to watch, but there are lots of issues with it. One thing that we haven't talked about, Bill, is the other side of this whole episode. I was just going the there. Side on the Enterprise. Those I was scenes just are going fantastic. There. Yeah. So well, uh, let's talk about that. They are, but they're not. So here's the thing. Um, Spock is left in command of the Enterprise, obviously, because he's the first officer. And there are multiple times where we expect this from McCoy. But for Scotty to openly challenge Spock on the bridge and say, well, you know, I could give you Warp 7, but I really think we've already wasted our time so far. (laughs) Um, That's just one. It's un-Scotty-like. Two, they're almost making him as malleable as Bones. And and three, um, I just, I didn't believe from either Scotty or McCoy that they were being true to their characters as far as, um, well, we got to find the captain. Okay, I I can I can agree with that. What I liked about it, when I said they were fantastic, is we got some of the best Spock McCoy butting heads with Spock with mm. McCoy's sarcasm. You pointy eared or you green blooded, all those things. They really shine in this and you get the uh, Larry Nemechek will love this you get the perfect McCoy hopping on his toes because he's frustrated in this episode and you get the eyebrow raise and him talking to himself and I really think that this is one of the great um, McCoy-isms episode that we've uh, 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 that we've seen uh, in TOS so maybe that's why I like it so much because it's so McCoy being being brash and, and cantankerous I, I can agree with that. I also think Spock is slightly out of character here because he's not necessarily always that literal or rigid, especially at this point in season two. Mm-hmm. You know, when he starts, uh, when Scotty says, you know, they just disappeared off the pad, and he's like, I assume you mean in a manner not consistent with the use of the transporter. I'm like, going, <laughs> really, dude? Of course, you think I would have called if he just beamed down. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but there are other, I mean, when Spock essentially throws out the mutiny card, and I think it's the third or fourth act, completely justified. Yeah. Because at that point, both Scotty and McCoy are like, dude. <laughs> and Spock's like, really? Dude. We're yeah. going to go there. Yeah. Um, although I appreciate how Spock uses the available evidence to form a hypothesis and then pursue it, even if it is something as. Um, nonsensical as them being beamed 12 light years away from where they were by something they've never seen before. This is a perfect example of Spock as a Vulcan using logic instead of emotion to come up with a course of action. And as, as way out in left field as it is, he doesn't let the fact that it's way out in left field stop him from putting together the information and the data that he has to come up with that plan. And on that note, one of the things that was hilarious about this, about this episode and the scenes on the Enterprise is there's a, there's a woman working helm and working the science station and working communication. I've never seen before. I can't remember what her name is, but at one point she's like, Mr. Spock, we've seen that they've had a fat of the hydrogen cloud. So they're all gathering at the, at the science station and she walks away and Sue's like, where's she going? (laughs) 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 It was hysterical. I love watching these episodes with my wife when we're doing deep dives because we get some good different views (laughs) about what's going on in the episode. Oh, without a doubt. Um, (laughs) And this is another episode where, you know, we get to use the device of the crew aboard the ship getting to watch what's going on. 
<laughs> because the providers have tuned in their cable channel to the Enterprise view screen. That's, Yep. And they see it from, you know, the cameras on the surface. Um, uh, just you know, because, you know, we will allow it, your crew will be able to watch because you're fighting on their behalf. I'm like, really? really? Come and, on. And then when, when Spock and, and McCoy and Scotty are talking, uh, they're like, they've got like big loudspeakers set up on Triskelion so that they can hear him without any problem. And Kirk's always looking up at him. What you're hearing, gentlemen, is Triskelion. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about the scenes between Kirk and Shayna. Mm-hmm. And there's the scene where they go running. Yes. Behind the, those ruins or whatever mm-hmm. they were. And this is the same scene that spawned the Lady Gaga meme that yes. five-year mission started. Yes. Um, and I, we give credit to them right away because <laughs> that was one of their memes first. And it was spot on. It is. Shayna really does look like Lady Gaga or light, Lady Gaga really does look like Shayna. I like how you call her Shayna. You be the judge. Yeah. I like how you call well, her Shana. But there's two different parts in the episode where she's called Shana and Shauna. Yes. Yep. Um, but I've I was going with Shauna. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually go back and forth. So, huh. um, you know, when she and Kirk run up behind those ruins and Kirk's like, whoa, whoa, slow down. I'm like, dude, she wasn't even jogging. <laughs> she was like barely walking. <laughs> we covered nearly two miles. Can we take a breather? A rest? <laughs> yeah. There, it strikes me as... Well, let me back up. I know that Kirk has to do the Kirk thing mm-hmm. and try to get on the uh-huh. woman's side yep. by being Kirk. Yep. All right. And we all yep. know what being Kirk means. And I'm using air quotes. <laughs> um, but there's really no sense of this that I get any believability from. No. Um, uh, there are aspects of this that tie back to several TOS episodes where Kirk either gets the girl or has to explain to somebody what love is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I know. I know. And, and it's it's not by the time it, it doesn't play well here. And by the time you get to the final fight between them, it's totally unbelievable. I, I got to say, I don't want to sound like a pig and yeah. I don't want to sound sexist. But there's one scene in this that I just think is hysterical. And it's it's that same scene. Mm. And it's when Kirk is like, and around them are planets. <laughs> right before he does that, he walks up to Shauna and Shauna backs right up into him. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> what are you doing? And and that really struck me as funny because of the idea that she doesn't know what love is and she only knows that um, mates are, are for, you know, increasing the herd mm-hmm. and this and that and the other thing. So the way that – and, and for people who haven't watched the episode, go back and watch that scene. When he walks up to her and she backs right into him, the look on her face, she knows exactly what she's doing. <laughs> there is some subtext here that – is really kind of surprising for 60s television. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say that other shows didn't do it at the time, but the fact that they got away with some of the things they got away with in this episode, knowing what first season was like in dealing with NBC, I'm really kind of surprised by some of it, including that aspect of that scene. I'll I'll agree with that. Or possibly after that scene, uh, when they're back in Kirk's cell and she brings dinner or, or, or nourishment and goes to turn away and, Kirk's like, you're bothered by what happened. And she's like, yes. And they kiss, and she he punches her dead in the face. That oh, is just yeah. like, wow, how did that even get it through? That's another one of those wow moments. Yeah. I, it's it's not it's not a good visual. It's you know, not a good punch, for one thing, because <laughs> first of all, he misses her. And second of all, she goes in the opposite direction of the punch instead of with the punch, which is interesting. It's in as itself. bad as some of the fight scenes in The Godfather. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> 
<laughs> you, you've seen The Godfather before. Oh, yeah. scene where yep. Sonny Corleone is beating the crap out of the guy in the street. <laughs> yes. Out of his sister's husband, I think it is. <laughs> and there are angles which he misses him by a country mile. And you can see it, that yeah. he never connects. And the guy goes flying. Yeah. That's what that, that punch was like. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, uh, oh. It's it's not great. I mean, TOS takes its knocks for its sexism of the time. Yes. Deservedly so. Yep. Um, it is a product of its era. That doesn't mean it gets a pass. Yep. Um, but that is a scene that is particularly troublesome, even yeah. from today's viewpoint. I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was then. It certainly is now. And and I can't help, you know, I, I, we sit here and laugh, and, and just because it's like, really, that's a great kiss, and then bam. But the look on her face after the kiss, she's like, I'm starting to feel what look... <laughs> And down, down for the count. And, oh, yeah. and you know what? It wasn't that strong a punch either. <laughs> so let's talk about that final fight again for a minute. So yeah. Kirk has to fight off three thralls. Yep. And does. Yep. Um, he takes out two, and one of the other thralls takes out one. If yes. the count is right. And Correct. then it turns out he's got to fight a fourth thrall, which wasn't part of the original bargain. Yeah, and well, that's that's Shauna. Well, that's because the rules were if if um, if a, if an opponent is not killed and only injured, they are substituted with a new thrall. So that's what happened with the Andorian who showed up out of nowhere. He got injured. He only got knocked out. He didn't get killed. Uh, so that's okay. why Shauna came in. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So we got to believe Klug is dead. We got to believe yep. Lars is dead because oh, of yeah. the Andorian. Two dead. Yep. And the Andorian was injured. Yeah, it was the antenna got knocked off or something. So Shauna had to go, <laughs> I'm on deck five. <laughs> I'm going to attack by an Andorian. Security. Security. <laughs> Security. Anyway. Captain? <laughs> Captain? Um, so I can, that fight, like we said, not the greatest fight. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been better to have a fight with just Lars and Klug because it was much more believable. Yes. Sort of a two-on-one scenario. Um, and maybe he, they didn't have to stay on their own colors, but they had to stay within the ring. And if they went outside the ring, there was something perilous. Like okay. maybe there's a, a force field that vaporizes them. Like a, okay. la- a river of lava? R- uh, whatever. Mm. Some some dangerous you know, mortal element that would have added a next level to that. If I were rewriting the scene, that's what I would have done. And then once Kirk dispenses with one of them and the other one gets hurt, then Shauna comes in. Okay. And Kirk has to fight her. Yeah. Or else he's going to die. Right. And then it becomes a choice of he's got to kill her mm-hmm. or he's got to keep fighting. And she's the only one left. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. So he's got to kill her. I think yep. that would have been a much more impactful episode. Uh, or at least ending for the episode, because what we got really just was n- not exciting or dangerous in any way. You know, I got to say, I really like that idea because we've seen the tragedies that Kirk has had to have throughout TOS uh, with Raina Kopek. Uh, we saw how he felt about that and he only wished he could forget. And of course, Edith Keeler with having to let her die in order to set uh, history back to its normal uh, timeline. So I, I really like that idea. He, you know, you can, you can argue whether or not he really had feelings for her or was he just trying to get out of the predicament that they were in. I actually lean towards he had feelings for her when, if I had to choose between the two. So if that type of situation happened and he had to kill her in order for them to be able to be set free, that would have been another great chapter to the Kirk tragedy with people that he cared about storyline. 
See, I come down on the other side of that. I think that it, it would have hurt him to to cause her harm, but I don't think he loved her. Uh, oh, I don't think he loved her. I, I don't. Th- I, don't her. I don't think he cared as deeply about her as he cared about, say, I don't know, um, uh, Dila. I was gonna just say Dila. I cannot even believe you just did that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just I, I picked that one off the top of my head because that's the one I go to. Ah. You know, I can believe that Kurt cared about Dila. I don't have that same sense with Shauna. Okay. Um, uh, you know, she's not. Neither of them are Edith Keeler level. No. Neither of them are Raina Kopic level. No. Um, but I can believe that Miramani. He, Miramani. Oh, he loved Miramani, man. <laughs> I don't know, um. I can believe that he cared more about Dila necessarily than Shauna, um, because uh, Shauna just Shauna just yeah. wasn't wasn't in the long term plan. And they were only they only knew each other for like five hours, like we talked about. Right. So yeah. I guess you're right. Okay, I forget what I, everything I just said. Uh, <laughs> the, the, believe me, that's easily done. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. So the providers. Yes. So. These are a group of beings that we've talked about. They're sort of disembodied brains. One has to wonder how they got in the buffet table. <laughs> covered um, by, may I say, the glass covering the providers was Lazarus's ship from the alternative factor. It's the uh-huh. best best thing from the alternative factor that ever happened was the reuse <laughs> of that, that glass. Yeah. yeah. Um, so somebody had to put their brains there. Maybe it was, I don't think it was Galt. Um, uh, somebody had to. So somebody had to take them out of their bodies. Who was it? It was uh, <clears throat> Jeffrey Combs from Reanimator. <laughs> you have no idea. What I'm shut up. About. No, I do. Just <laughs> shut up. Okay, sorry. Just, bad. But I mean, somebody had to <laughs> essentially care for the providers up to that point. And yeah. we assume that that person is gone because the providers are just there. Um, I've got tons of questions with regard to the providers. Like, how do those disembodied brains live outside the body? Yeah, they've evolved. But, I mean, um, our bodies have blood. Our bodies have all kinds of things that keep those brains going. Um, oxygen. Uh, not You don't get oxygen under glass, my friend. Um, so, I've got, I've got a whole bunch of questions as to how they evolved and what they evolved into. Are they more than just brains? They are one with the body. First of all, uh-huh. you, you were waiting 30 <laughs> seconds to say that. <laughs> so, um, th- yes, I, I, I agree with all the questions that you have asked. However, it's just one of those, you know, how many other episodes have we come up with, you know, questions that we come up with about things that we've seen. I kind of like the idea possibly, yes, somebody must have had to put them there, but really, did they have to? If they've evolved as much as they have, is it possible that they could have put their own brains in there? Somebody had to put the last one in. Well, they just use that and then they're there. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a possibility. I don't know. It's it's possible. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I do see hear what you're saying. But then again, look at all the things that uh, the Telosians could do with their um, uh, amazing powers of, of telepathy and stuff like sure. that. So it's it's certainly possible that, that the providers are like that. Now, what I will say, I have not seen this. I have not read it, but I am interested in it. Apparently, there is a comic book series about the games of Triskelion after the episode. Really? I saw, a, when I was doing research for the episode, I was online, and I saw a cover of the comic book. It takes place after this, and it looks like it's more futuristic. 
Um, I'm going to have to go back and, and find out what it is and let people know on an, on an upcoming episode about uh, what it is, where you can find it, the title and everything. Because when I saw that, I'm like, oh, I'm getting that. So I'll have to let everybody know. It would be interesting to see if they delve into the providers a little bit more than they did here because they really didn't do much at all here. Well, and then my next question is, what do the providers do with money? Um, yeah, they have it to wager. They make wagers. It seems like they'll bet on anything. They're kind of like, uh, you know, those degenerate gamblers in Las Vegas uh, or any other city like Atlantic City or wherever you can place bets. Mm-hmm. Um, but once they win, what exactly do they do with the money? They pay the Ferengi uh, Commerce Authority. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I mean. They got nothing to do. They can't do anything with what they do, what they win. So it's just a never-ending circle of ridiculousness. What if the providers are disembodied Ferengi? Whoa. Wouldn't Whoa. that be a neat wrinkle? Wow. That's, that, is a, that is a deep, deep take, man. I didn't wow. think of it till you just talked about the Ferengi just now. Oh, so it was my idea. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> hey, we're going to be in Vegas. I'm going to give you a little <laughs> bit of credit because you're yeah, going to buy, buy me drinks all week long. Oh, that's true, too. Um, yeah. Oh, you that's just a, admitted it. Thank you. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Uh, yeah, I can go with that. I'll, I'm going to start writing a novel about that. So Kirk kind of uses some word foo on the providers and gets them to agree to this wager. Um. Aren't the providers smarter than this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, hear me. We can't talk about things like Quatloos. I mean, it's like, really, dude? You think that they're that dumb? Oh, yeah, they are. Okay, thanks. Yeah. It's like they, they bought Kirk and company five hours after they got there. And now Kirk's like, hey, wait a second. Wait a second. I got a deal for you. How about I take on, you know, one of your thralls, and if I win, we all go free. <laughs> And if I were a provider, I'd be sitting there with my brain going, uh, yeah, <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, but they came back. They, you know, they, they knew what he was doing. They knew of his trickery and skullduggery because they said, no, 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 you have to go against three of the five thralls that we have on this planet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got to take out three. Kirk's going three. Okay. So, those aren't very good odds. I can do that. <laughs> but don't step on the other colors. <laughs> and okay, you know what I would have really liked speaking of the providers. What's up? I'm looking at a picture of them right now. One is very bright red, one is very bright yellow, and one is very bright green. That green one should have been blue for the TOS primary colors. Yeah. I really think. Yeah, I can see that. I would have liked that. I love the reuse of the uh, the Janus mining colony <laughs> uh matte painting for the background there. Yes. Um I do like that. I don't know what the providers need with large storage tanks underground. That's where the bang machine is. <laughs> the what? Bang. <laughs> <laughs> A neural paralyzer. Neural paralyzer. I also like the fact that the uh, daggers for mirror mirror are used by the drill thralls. They are. And one of them is absolutely rubber in one team. You can tell. <laughs> that's, that's great. Speaking of which, wicked tangent I'm going off right yeah, now. Yeah. Apparently, there's a company that's going to be an STLV this week that has Mirror Universe Dagger letter openers. I am getting one of those, yo. Sleep with it under your pillow. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Okay. I will do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but with all of these faults, and this episode does have faults, mm-hmm. we love it. 
I have watched this episode three times this weekend and I laughed and had fun and just enjoyed it like the kid I was when I saw it in the 1970s for the first time each time because it's Star Trek and it makes me happy. For everything that this episode does wrong, it's still a great hour of watching. Let me ask you this. What is your favorite scene in this episode? Oh, it's got to be when Lars takes the the can opener straight to the midsection. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Because the look on his face is just like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a look uh, i wish you had all the time i know that yeah. that whole fight really is pretty fantastic uh, in that aspect of it i mean yes the choreography is not great but you know when people start hauling and throwing around can openers like that <laughs> it's it's not going to be pretty wow. and i think that that's pretty good i like the fact that kurt gets the chance to essentially put the whole situation on his shoulders and and succeed or fail based on his own merit. That's the thing I like the most about that particular scene. Nice. My favorite episode, uh, my favorite episode, my favorite scene in this episode is a very subtle one. But every time I see it, I rewind it and watch it again because I love it that much. It's when Kirk and Shauna are leaving the ruins and Galt is standing up on that platform a little bit and the camera kind of follows them leave and then it sticks to Galt through the branches of that weird tree and you just have that ominous music playing as he's staring in their direction with that with with the scene with with him being in between that tree. I think that's an ingenious piece of cinematography and I love that scene and for whatever reason that's my favorite part of this episode as weird as that may sound. There are a couple of really great shots in this episode. Unfortunately, they are outnumbered by a whole bunch of shots that are not great. Mm-hmm. Um, shots that are either not composed well or not well thought out. Um, I don't know if the director of this episode had ever really done any other episodes of Star Trek before or what complexities there were in this particular shoot. Um, but there are just uh, there are angles in this that are really weird. Mm-hmm. That is one of the few scenes, though, where that's not true. Yeah. So I have to agree with you about the composition of that shot yeah. right there. I love that, and and everybody knows I love Galt, and I can't wait to be doing the cosplay at STLV this week. I love the way that he moves. He glides, those small steps that he takes, and the way that the cloak flows around him. And when he's walking to talk to someone, he walks in a straight line, he does a 90-degree turn, and he faces that person when he talks. That's ominous, and it's scary a little bit to me. And I just think that uh, Joseph Ruskin just crushed it as this character and he's my favorite and i i am i am so honored to be playing that character as cosplay this coming week i cannot wait to do it he really did something next level in that episode that was yeah. just so simple but it trans it transcended the screen so mm-hmm. well yep. uh, and dude you're going to you're going to crush it you really are it's going to look fabulous um, i can't wait to uh, see how many people want to take their picture with you it's going to be awesome it's going to be fun. I can't wait. And and it's and, you know it's just a it's just a testament to you know what we love so much. Everybody has their favorite characters. Everybody has their ideas of what they want to do in the cosplay that we have seen over the years at STLV has been really inspiring for me to finally do this one. Um, and I had some help from some great people um, and helped put this together. And I think it's coming along really really well. And I'm nervous, but I am so excited at the same time. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, buddy, we have the help of some great people every week, and we wish they were going to be in Las Vegas with us. Yeah. Um, but they're going to be in our hearts. Of course, I'm, I'm speaking of Five Year Mission, the amazing Star Trek theme band that uh, 
allows us to use all their music each and every episode. Of course, they have a podcast coming to the Trek Geeks Network later this summer, buddy. So in preparation, we want everyone to head out to fiveyearmission.net. Please buy their CDs, you know, show the band some love because we promise you, we swear on a stack of Quatloos that you are going to become big fans of this band. Um, Their songs make you think about Star Trek episodes in a different way. This is not parody. This is not making fun of Star Trek. They take and write one episode, one song for each episode. Sorry, I almost mm-hmm. screwed that up. That's right. One song for each episode, and really, it is such a wonderful tribute every time it happens. So it's fiveyearmission.net. Please go show them some love. Interesting. Before I talk about my episode this week that I watched, uh, besides Games of Triskelion, you said stack of quatloos. Mm-hmm. I find that interesting. I've always thought of quatloos as coins. You can stack coins. I know, but you think stack, you think of greens, green backs, green stacks, stacks, money, cash. I just, I don't know. You can stack coins. All right. All right. Do you ever do it on your elbow? Anyway. Um, Okay. You know, anyway, (laughs) anyway, let's get back to where I was going to talk about. Please. Okay. I think it's safe to say, Bill, that pretty much everyone loves the doctor on Voyager. Yeah. Safe to say. Yeah. He's a great great character. I love his sarcasm throughout the series. I love that he always tried to evolve to be something more than just an emergency medical hologram. Uh, Case in point, season three episode, he attempts to improve his program by actually including elements of the personalities of the band members that he admires. I don't know if you remember this one. It's a good one. But as always, when, when it's a holodeck thing, things are bound to go wrong. Things go wrong. He actually forms the second evil personality of himself. I think you know what I'm talking about. You know, there's attempted murder in this episode. Uh, uh, Balana is temporarily paralyzed by the doctor and this evil personality. And all kinds of chaos ensues. But at the end of the episode, as with a lot of them in Voyager, the doctor's program is returned to normal and everybody's happy. Check it out. It's a great Voyager doc episode, Farkling. You will not be disappointed, my friend. I'm disappointed already. <laughs> I knew um, you were going to say that. I was going to type that out, that you're going to um, say I'm disappointed already. I mean, and it's so sad because it's Fark's favorite Star Trek. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's no, not. No, it's not. No, no, but it's a good um, episode, Farkling. Yeah. Farkling. Now. Yeah. Yeah. So don't forget you can support the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts by subscribing to bonus content on Patreon. You can get access to exclusive content not available anywhere else. I mean, we've looked. Honestly, Patreon's the only place you're going to find it. Yeah. And you can see things like uh, our first annual supporters pin, which is just gorgeous, uh, crafted by our friends at Fansets, and even get raw, unedited audio from all of our podcasts, even those that have yet to join the network, along with a whole bunch of other perks, Dan. Absolutely. And we want to take a moment now to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support. And they include Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Shane Murray, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, that was a little pause in there. <laughs> I saw. I thought maybe you. I thought maybe your your screen had froze. I'm like, what happened? Sorry about that. Rob Robel and the wonderful and refreshing Brooke Horton. Well, let's get his name right for at least one week. Ron Robel. Yeah, I said. I, said, I haven't typed it. I say Ron, didn't I? No. Oh, did I say? Did I say Rob again. You did it, say Rob it, again. Okay, Rob, Ron, whatever the hell your name is, it's Ron right here. I typed it out right, so I just said it wrong because math is hard. <laughs> 
and, and, but I will say, we looking forward to meeting you in Vegas, so I can apologize in person. Absolutely, we are. <laughs> um, and of course, we also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Patrick Escudero, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ben Russett, Corey Stone, and the lovely and talented Scott Vashon. If you'd like to become a producer on the network, get access to the raw audio for Trek Geeks episodes, and have me mispronounce your name, just head on over to <laughs> patreon.com slash trekgeeks, where subscription levels start as low as $1 a month. Next week, Dan, we're going to take the week off since we'll be flying back from fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. But the following week, we're going to return to talk about STLV and all the amazing things that happen in the Trek world. And the timing for this topic couldn't be any better. Yeah, you can say that again, man. Remember when people seemed to be burnt out from Trek and Enterprise was canceled and then we went years without a, mo a movie and then the Kelvin timeline came along and then Discovery and wow. Well, I got to say... Right now is the best time in history to be a Star Trek fan, my friend. And next week, we're going to tackle the current state of Star Trek. Pretty simple subject, but we got a lot to talk about. And we're also going to give away, oh, two tickets to Treconderoga at the official Star Trek TOS Studio Tour. That's all happening next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship podcast for the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Absolutely looking forward to it uh, and our, our week in the desert. It should be a great time, and we look forward to telling everybody all about it of course for more great star trek discussion please check out the other member podcasts of the trek geeks podcast network uh so much discussion going on and we're going to be adding more shows uh before the year closes out so um there's trek geeks there's discovering treks there's paula treks there's there's even more coming so just you wait and of course for all the news on all the star trek co please visit our great friends at treknews.net for now this has been episode number 186 of the trek geeks podcast we do hope you all live long and prosper. I am Galt, the Master Coconut. This place is the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. You are to tune in and spend the rest of your lives listening here. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They are writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DiscoveringTrek.com. Bing bong! Bing bong. That wasn't very galtish. I don't. I don't have the echo. I wish I had a way to reverb my voice when I'm talking when I'm as golf because that would be kind of neat. I wish you had a way to mute your voice when you were talking so nobody would have to hear you. Wow, and and you just get right into it right off the bat. You're, yeah. you're good. You make things go, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> how can we? How can I be upset with you? We're we're less than forty eight hours away from being airborne to head down to uh, Las Vegas for a week of fun and frivolity. It is – we've talked about this before. I mean, this really kind of re-energizes my Star Trek fandom every year. Right. You know, seeing so many other people who love the same thing we love, 
um, and, and getting to hang out with them and, and enjoy that fellowship of, of Trekdom really just means the world to me. So much more than some of the panels. There were a lot of great panels this year. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, but this this is this con fuels me every year. Mm-hmm. It really does. And of course, this year, as, as we've said, and we will be saying uh, as we continue forward, this is the best time in the history of Star Trek to be a Star Trek fan with everything that's going on. We've got the Picard series. We've got all these other things. And and now we get to enjoy it all uh, at, at Vegas with all the people that we love to meet and hang out with for that once a year. And it was cool. Jerry Ryan and Jonathan DeLarco were named just the other day as being uh, the latest guests. So Picard will weigh heavily in uh, in the desert, which is very cool. And I'm I'm hoping something like Pike gets announced. But we'll see. That's your idea, and I'm sticking with it. I, I really have to hope. I mean... I won't. I'm not going to be disappointed if they don't. Let's put it that way. I mean, we have such a an overflowing, you know, uh, cup of Star Trek right now. Mm-hmm. We are just we are graced with so much that we never had before. Uh, there's more Trek coming all the time, and I'm not looking a gift horse in the mouth. So if they don't announce it, yeah. I'm not going to be bummed. But I really hope they announce it. I hope they do too. And I was watching this weekend. There were some people on Twitter posting things. And what do you think of this title? Because I dig it. Star Trek 1701. I think that would be a very cool name for a Pike series. Um, I don't know if I like it. I mean, Pike would be good too, of course. Um, but I thought that was kind of different because it's not something we've ever seen before. It is different. Yeah. Um, uh, wow, that's a, that's interesting. That's a great carpool conversation is what would they call a Pike uh, series? Okay. Or what should they call a Pike series uh, even if they announce a name between Heather and Yon? Star Trek Wheels? Wheels? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> beep, beep. Yeah, that was my bad joke for the day. But I got a farkism later, so you know it's going to get worse. Uh, it always, always <laughs> yeah. gets yeah. worse. It does. Yeah. It does. So uh, what was, how was, uh, how's the weekend? Good stuff going on? Uh, mostly laundry. Yeah, all there, getting ready, folding yeah. it all up, ironing. Yeah. Uh, my back is almost, almost a hundred percent. Okay, good. Um, a little stiffer today, but um, I, I'm just gonna do what I can in Vegas. You so know? I'll be able um, to punch you in the kidney again. The the kidney. The kidney. Kidney. Ki- kidney. kidney. That's yeah. Kidney. Help me, Spook. Kidney. Kidney. Help me, Spook. <laughs> <laughs> is that uh, what you do on the Trek Geeps podcast? Yes, I do. I do, I do a good job podcasting. It's really weird looking at you with uh, dark facial hair. Oh, it, uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So I, I, I did the uh, the tinting of the beard for Galt last night, and I didn't tell my wife I was going to the bathroom to do that. So I go in the bathroom and I shave my head. I actually tweeted out a picture of me shaving my head, and then I decided to do the beard. And just as I finished, she walked in. And she started a sentence, and she stopped and just went wide-eyed. And I'm like, hi, because <laughs> it's it is so different. You know, usually I have the light brown with the white. Now it's black. Now you look like if you made a tough face, you'd actually look tough. No, that's not tough. <laughs> you, you just made it this sort of bug-eyed face. Like, now you look like Grumpy Cat. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm just, I'm not the type of person to have a, a mean face. I'm not that kind of person. In the words of... That sage observer of our times, Michael Jackson. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. He wrote that about me, I think. Tito, get me a tissue. Yeah, he didn't write that about me, though. I Jermaine, stop teasing. Wait, that's Eddie Murphy. That's Eddie Murphy. I was going to say, who supposedly, <laughs> I read the other day, he's going to do a stand-up routine soon. He should, be do- he should do something. 
It's not making anything, money anywhere like, else. Like freaking Haunted Mansion, I think was the last movie that it did that I remember. Did you see it? Dis- oh yeah, it's a Disney movie, so I saw it. Yeah. Was it any good? Eh, it was okay. The guy who played General Zod is in it, so it can't be that bad. Terrence, Terrence Stamp? Stamp. Yeah, he's in it. He plays the butler in the mansion. He's one of my like my favorite actors of all time. He's just so underrated. And he's good in this one too. He's got that voice and the, the way that he carries himself. I mean, he looks like he's about I don't know, a hundred. But other than that, and that's not a bad thing. But yeah, I was very happy to see him in that. Kneel before Zod. Oh, so good. Nobody will ever be better than him as Zod. Even I don't even know the name of the guy that played him in the other movies, but Michael Shannon. And it just wasn't the same. Ah, no, no, no. Yeah, he. I, th- you know, this is the kind of coloring that I could use for a General Zod cosplay. Now that I think about it, it is. I'd, uh, I'd love to see you in that outfit. That would be hilarious. I bet you would. <laughs> <laughs> Let's All right, see. Turk, you ready to do this? I'm ready, man. All right, let's get it going.